Uh, we are going to be reading from John 10, and I know we read from John 10 last week, but two of these I am statements of Jesus are in the same chapter, so we're going to read John 10 again. So John 10 says this, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, they're out all his own. He goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow his voice because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this as a figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I am, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but I, the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come, he will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you teach us something new about yourself today that we come away with a greater understanding of who you are and just how rich your love is. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the second week in our Lent series on these I Am Statements of Jesus. Uh, if you didn't get a bookmark last week, I hope you got a bookmark this week. Did everyone get a bookmark? There's a lot of uncertainty. Just so you know, I got these bookmarks printed. It's the most excited I've been about anything ever. So please take a bookmark if you don't have one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting church merch now. That's what we're about. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you've looked at your bookmark, and I hope you have, actually using it as a bookmark, you'll see that these are really like incredible statements, these I am statements that Jesus makes throughout John's gospel. He says, I am the true vine, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world. Like these are all grand, exciting statements. And there's one that is kind of less exciting to me. Uh, would anyone like to guess which of those seven is the least exciting? It's not a rhetorical question, go on. Door, yeah, there we go. Just a what door? Like that's <laughs> absolutely. I am the door. That's kind of less exciting. Um, 
But because I let other people preach on what they want to, that means I get left with the ones that other people don't want. So, <laughs> so today we're going to talk about Jesus being the door. Uh, but I will say, actually, after spending a week on it, I think this might be the best one. So we'll see if you agree with me at the end of this, I guess. Uh, before I do start on Jesus being the door, uh, our translation says the gate, which is probably better, and we'll get more into that later. Um, I have a little secret that I have to confess to you, and that is actually there are technically eight I am statements of Jesus in John, and one of them didn't make it onto your bookmark. Uh, but that eighth one actually provides a lot of context and really enriches the other seven I am statements. So I'm going to read that now. The eighth I am statement appears in John 8, and it says this. Jesus is in a big conversation with some religious leaders that don't like him very much, which is fairly standard for Jesus. And he says this, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years, they said. And you, sin Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And I think the audience's response to Jesus saying, I am, maybe tells us everything about just how controversial, how inflammatory, how loaded these statements are. I, I swear also, this is a super practical sermon, but give me like four minutes of nerding out on theology and then we'll get to that. Um, some of you may remember we preached on Exodus in the fall. I was about to say autumn, because that's what we say in England, but fall. Uh, and during that, we learned about Moses and what God was doing throughout Exodus. And Daniel Westacott preached on the divine name for a little while. In Exodus 3.14, says this. Uh, when Moses asked for God's name, when he says, who should I said sent me? God says, I am who I am. Uh, but again, possibly a more interesting or better translation of this could be, I am and I will be. Our God is a God who is eternally present, always with us in the now. So when Jesus says, I am, this isn't just a simple introduction. This isn't a subject, object, verb kind of deal. He's making a claim that he is nothing less than the eternal and the divine and the unchanging God himself. Uh, one theologian says this, uh, the expression I am is one of the most significant theological phrases in John's gospel, and it always carries with it an unmistakable echo of the divine name. Jesus' use of this phrase must be seen as an implicit claim to be one with God in a way that no one else could. So the I am's of Jesus reveal both that he is God, which is very important, but they also, by extension, reveal to us what God is like. 
And both of these things are really important. But they reveal that Jesus isn't just a, a good guy or a great teacher, and he is those things, but he is also God. And this is one of the things that we as Christians go to the wall on. I know I preach sometimes and people are a little uncertain about how orthodox I am or how much of a heretic I am. Uh, but actually, I'm really quite boring and quite traditional when you get down to it, because this is one of the things I won't shake on. Jesus is God, and I'll go to the wall for that every single time. When you blend this I am in John 8 with the I am the door of today, again, it makes for a really controversial statement. The most obvious is that when Jesus says, I am the door, I am the one by which they enter, he's implying that nothing else is. He's kind of saying it's me and, and nothing else. But the way that he's saying that and the people that he's saying that to, as far as they're concerned, the temple is the way to God. The temple is where it has the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Most High God resides. And once a year, one person is allowed to walk in there and... They have a rope tied around their foot in case they die because they're overcome by the presence of God. That's the door as far as they're concerned. And Jesus is saying, no, that stuff is not the way to God. I am. So Jesus is saying something incredibly controversial here. He's saying your kind of understanding of who God is, your tradition, your religion, it is wrong. I am correct. So it's not a surprise that the people pick up stones to kill him. And not to spoil our Good Friday service, um, it's not surprising that they do kill him. So what happens. So that's, there's a lot going on in Scripture. is rich and beautiful. But really the focus of today, I think a better translation of I am the door is I am the gate. And that's actually what our pew Bibles do. Generally, we think of doors as something that kind of let people in and gates as something that keep people out. That's very simplistic, but that's how it works in my mind. Which kind of begs this big question, who is it that Jesus is keeping out and why? Let's cast our minds back to last week. And if you weren't here and don't quite remember, that is absolutely fine. But to remind you, we were talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. It's one of these key statements. And one of the things that comes up in this passage five times is Jesus saying, I will lay down my life. I'll give it up. And to understand this uh, more richly, uh, we need to understand how sheep pens in the first century looked like. And I'm pleased to say that, you know what, uh, Simone showed some art a couple of weeks ago, and it was amazing. And I've got some art of my own, Simone. I've got some bad news for you. I'm pretty good at this. Let's uh, get that first picture up. Really? Interesting. Not coming up on the screen. I'm going to give this like 10 seconds because this painting really is beautiful. And if not, I will describe it with words like a loser. The good news is at least my mum can see it, so whatever. 
All right, well, it turns out we've got a little stuff to do with our, uh, I don't know why that's happening. No worries, Caitlin. Anyway, so a sheep pen is basically a circular enclosure with kind of rocks and thorns, uh, but there's a big gap at the front. Uh, so the sheep kind of walk in and out fairly freely. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, the sheephold only had the one exit and entrance, which uh, made it convenient, but also meant that the sheeps were kind of vulnerable. Uh, they could walk out. She, uh, walls and thieves could walk in. But in order to protect the sheep at night, in order to protect the sheep pen, the shepherd would lie across this opening. So it didn't have like a gate or a door or anything, it just had this opening, and the shepherd would lie down in front of it as a deterrent to keep those wolves or thieves or any other unsavory characters. All right, there's a couple of people that have just joined the stream online and are looking at my, so there we go. A reason to watch the stream from today. You can see the artwork I'm talking about. <laughs> But, but I love this image, which you can't see, but I love this image of the shepherd lying down across the doorway, literally lying down to protect those that perhaps can't protect themselves, who need protecting. Uh, I met with our friend Grace Fletcher this week, who is in our 80s and a fantastic person. And you know that when I'm excited about a sermon, I start talking about it during the week and spoil the Sunday for people. But I was really excited about this, and I was sharing this image with her about this shepherd lying down across the sheepfold, you know, putting himself in harm's way for the sheep. Uh, and she told me she'd never heard that, and she's probably heard like a hundred sermons on the Good Shepherd. So I'm feeling very smug about that, basically. Um, <laughs> But doesn't that also add a richness to this saying, that the shepherd laying down his life, everyone listening would have been able to work out exactly what he meant. It's a very clear visual. They could imagine exactly what he was saying. And what I really love about this is that the shepherds who, as we've said, are kind of the outcasts of society, the least important ones, they would have understood it better than anyone. Like Jesus talks in such a way that the excluded get him even more. I realize this kind of echoes my point from last week, but they blend together. Uh, one theologian called Leonardo Boff, who I read a lot and quote a lot, says this, uh, the sheepfold metaphor challenges us to rethink our understanding of power and leadership. A good shepherd is not the one who rules with an iron fist but the one who serves and sacrifices for the sake of the community. This is the kind of leadership that our churches need. And I agree, isn't that what our churches should look like? like a community where people feel safe with a shepherd who's actually willing to protect them. And yet, so often when we hear about those in Christian leadership in the news is, is kind of the opposite. A church community that, that doesn't feel safe or, or leaders in ministry that instead of being marked by sacrificial love is, is marked by selfishness or cruelty or abuse. This shepherd that was supposed to protect the sheep from wolves has instead become the wolf themselves. Uh, my friend Danielle, who's going to be speaking next week, uh, has this big thing about uh, making churches unsafe uh, for those looking to abuse others, those who are looking to exploit, those who are looking to take advantage of people. 
And, and this is really important because, and we, we did a podcast on it and we got into a bit of trouble because we said like, we want to make church unsafe for abusers, uh, which is true, but we also recognize that could be past tense or present tense. And I want church to be a place where, where it is safe for everyone. Uh, and that means that there may be people that have made choices they're not proud of, but we still need to be safe for them as long as you know, they're, they're able to be safe too. It, it's a difficult line that I've struggled with this week thinking about actually. But we want to make this place safe for vulnerable people and that ultimately might mean making it unsafe for those looking to exploit the vulnerable people. Um, a Catholic activist named Daniel Berrigan, who I really like, says this, if they come for the innocent and don't have to step over our bodies, then cursed be our religion. And, and I think about that a lot. Like, I, I want to think that quote sort of shapes me a bit. Uh, some of you may know, uh, very early on in my ministry experience, I want to say I'd been a youth pastor for like three months or something. Um, some girls and young women came to me telling me that they'd been abused by a pastor that they had uh, trusted. And one of the people that was most supportive to them and to me throughout that period was uh, my friend called Anthony. Uh, and Anthony was the pastor of the church that I grew up in and the most pastorally gifted human in the world ever. Um, and, and I'm sure we all have people like that in mind, but it, like Anthony had this gift that everyone thought they were the most important person to Anthony. He was just better at that than, than everyone. Uh, and, and because he was so good at the pastoral piece, uh, it meant that this was in an Anglican church, it meant people paid attention to him and, and were, uh, he was kind of rising through the ranks and they were kind of setting things in place for him to become a bishop and, uh, and the Anglican Church needs way more bishops like Anthony. Um, and because of Anthony's pastoral heart, he was really instrumental in ensuring those girls were heard uh, by the other shepherds in his denomination. Uh, but at that point, the other shepherds weren't as interested in protecting the sheep as they were as in protecting themselves. Uh, and in a couple of cases, just straight up protecting the wolf. Uh, but Anthony didn't let up, uh, and without getting too distracted by this story, uh, those girls did get that day in court and so many years later. Uh, but they were listened to and they were heard and they were believed after a very long time of being told that they wouldn't be. Uh, and Anthony is one of those people who I think is really instrumental and important in that. Uh, but Anthony upset the wrong people those other shepherds wanted him to be quiet. They wanted him to, to let this thing die, and he wasn't willing to. And so they never made him a bishop. They didn't really make him anything. But, but he laid across the sheepfold. And, and that's what I, I, what I think about when I think about church leadership. Uh, even just, and I know that that includes me, but that includes a whole bunch of us here actually. <laughs> and we think about what it looks like to have a, a space that is safe and, and what it might cost us maybe. If they come for the innocent and don't have to step over our bodies, then cursed to be our religion.
that, like it's so hard. Um, but but it does. It also makes me want to try harder. You know. It makes me ask, like, what hits, what blows are we willing to take as, as individuals, as communities, as a congregation? Like, what sacrifices are we willing to make to ensure that all are welcome? Like, these aren't rhetorical questions, by the way. <laughs> like, I'm not just asking myself or even the elected leaders. I, I really mean all of us. Like, what's it going to take? What are we willing to do? What, what are we willing to lie down on? What are we willing to give up? Because there's just so many sheep that are missing right now, right? Like John, uh, Jesus says in, in John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And amen to that. So, so who, is it, who is it that we're missing, I suppose? Who are those people that are, are so loved by Jesus but, but have been so wounded by the church that they don't feel uh, safe anymore? And, and one of the things for Wellspring and one of the beautiful things about us is I think we are weird and we're unique. I'll get into that in a second. And, and there's so many uh, churches around for, for people that fit in, and, and that's okay. Like, I have nothing against people's church. They're, gr they're great. Like, they're really an excellent church. Uh, they do lots of fantastic things. Um, but, but there's some people that aren't welcome there. And, and so what does God want us to, to do with those people? What can we do to make Wellspring a place that is safe for the people that have been might not be welcome there or have just been really damaged, really hurt by other places. Uh, like when I hear about shepherds, <laughs> when I hear about shepherds acting like wolves, and, and it's not, they're not even wolves in sheep's clothing, they're just wolves in wolves clothing, right? You, you see the fruit and you see the language and you see the, the anger and you see the hatred and, and we're surprised when the fruit of that is, is hurt and desolation. One of, one of the things that uh, the leadership of Wellspring right now is trying to work out is like an elevator pitch for Wellspring. Like, how do we break down this congregation in a sentence or two? Uh, and, and I'm really like maddened, <laughs> but also delighted by how difficult that has been. Like, I don't know. We used to have slogans and they used to make sense, and now we're weird. <laughs> And I'm weird, you hired me. Like, <laughs> like obviously that's going to happen. <laughs> but it's, it's difficult to sum up, I suppose. Like for a long time, this church's slogan is, we receive all whom Christ receives. And I'm like, amen to that. I'm with you. The problem is, there's a whole bunch of people that have been told Christ doesn't receive them. So we have to add an asterisk to that, right? We receive all whom Christ receives. And that probably includes you too, person who hasn't been received. So many people that have been told Christ doesn't receive them. And I know it, maybe I say this too much. I don't know. Some people think I say it too much. Some people say it too little. So maybe I'm getting it right. 
But if people don't feel welcomed at Wellspring, we're doing things wrong because again and again and again, Jesus welcomes and loves those that tradition and religion and society said that he should not. And we, we sanitize these stories because I think they're just too challenging otherwise. I was speaking with my friend the other day. She's a preacher and my mentor and more brilliant than me. And she was saying how it's kind of, it, like it's easy to ignore some of what Paul says about cutting our hair. We just kind of ignore that. It's weird and complicated or we contextualize it. But to take Jesus seriously, to really take Jesus' word, it just wrecks everything. Like we've made the radical welcome of Jesus lesser than. We've diluted it because there's just so much otherwise. But this is his ministry over and over again, over and over again. Like the Samaritans, the people you couldn't welcome, you couldn't touch, you couldn't eat with, he drinks with them. And lepers who are untouchable and yet embraced by Jesus. And, you know, it's not just the people that didn't have choices. There were people that made bad choices or made decisions that weren't great either. Tax collectors who, again, despised as traitors by society and rightly so, and yet Jesus welcomes them into his discipleship. And this woman who's caught in adultery, and that's a, the sin deserving of the death penalty according to the law. And yet, like, Jesus defends her. Like, Jesus shows us again and again and again that he is willing to lie across that doorway and protect those who haven't been welcome in the sheepfold. I am the gate. I will protect those people that have been told they're not worthy of protection. They weren't welcomed in the sheepfold before, but now they are because that's what Jesus does. That's the transformation that Jesus brings. <laughs> like we know the people that have been excluded from church, like historically and now, I was talking to Steve recently, uh, and he was just, uh, I mean, it's hard to believe that Steve was ranting about anything, uh, <laughs> but he was ranting about like just how terribly Christians behave during the AIDS crisis. Like this was this incredible opportunity that we could have seized to love those that have been shunned by society, but instead the way the church behaved made it even worse. Like what was the fruit of that? Instead of lying across the sheepfold to protect them, the wolves kept them away. Ezekiel 34, which is another big shepherd image thing in the Bible, says this, You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost sheep. You ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Sometimes um, when I get enthusiastic, I sound angry, and that's not my intention. And so um, I, I, I ask for your forgiveness as it feels uh, cruel or mean or vindictive. That's not my intention. Uh, I believe that everything that we can preach about Jesus can be preached with gentleness, and uh, I apologize for falling short there. But, but we sin uh, the fruit 
of our exclusion. We sin the fruit of it, of excluding people, and yet Jesus is just defined by this like this radical welcome over and over again. We sin the fruit of our exclusion of the queer community, its pain and its isolation. Like I had dinner with a really lovely couple a couple of weeks ago, um, and and they just said to me like, "We'd really love to go to a church, but it's really hard to be told that God doesn't love us, right?" that we're doing something wrong. And, 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 and they live in Hamilton, and if they lived here, they'd hopefully come here. Um, but like that shatters my heart, that, that we didn't lie across the sheepfold for those people when we should have. But I don't think it's too late, actually, uh, it's not too late. Um, we, we just have to be willing to give up, I guess, sometimes. Like, what are we willing to give up? Where are we willing to lie down to make sure that people know that God loves them? And, and I know this is really hard for some people, and I, I know it is. Um, but, but yeah, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus' example and to lie down? Like, there's so many people out there that are desperate for community. And, and I believe that Wellspring can be that because I'm seeing the fruit of it now. Like, I'm seeing the beauty and the glory of it now. And I love this so much. And, and, and I want to thank you for, like, your graciousness towards me. Uh, it's been a rough few years. And I, I haven't always helped that. But I feel supported and I feel loved uh, in spite of, of the many kind of difficulties that Wellspring has faced recently. Uh, and, and I hope, I hope uh, my leadership is, is defined as one who's willing to lie down to. And for where I need to get that right, I, I beg your uh, correction and encouragement and uh, <laughs> guidance. But I'm just, I don't know. I'm all over the place this morning, huh? I'm just really I'm excited but sad all at the same time. I guess that's okay. We can hold those tensions. Um, but for me, it's just this, this beautiful image of, of Wellspring being this sheepfold where, yeah, the sheep can look different and the sheep can even disagree, uh, but it doesn't matter because we're so unified on, on who Jesus is. So if you, if you have uh, any ideas as to how to sum up that last 20 minutes in one sentence, let me know. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for both your sacrificial life and indeed your sacrificial death. And Lord, we pray that we can be like that too, that our lives be marked by the people that we loved and the way that we loved them. Well, for the people who, who don't think they're welcome in the sheepfold now, uh, we pray that you give us the words. We pray that you give us the wisdom. We pray that you give us the courage to, to let them know uh, there is a place for them at your table and in your sheepfold. We ask all these things in your name.
Amen.